performance or connection. I'd like to begin this morning with an illustration. It's a very simple illustration. I have a ball on a string. Now, what I'm going to attempt to perform for you this morning is to get this ball to travel in a perfect circle. The first attempt will be me doing the work without much of a connection to the ball. And I'm thinking, surely if I go around like this and then I release the ball, the momentum should surely get that ball in a perfect circle, about a quarter circle, but far from a perfect circle. So that didn't work. My second attempt will be to have a connection, but I'm going to be doing all the work. And you tell me if it's a perfect circle, but there's a connection. The third attempt is going to be a connection with me doing a little bit, but the ball doing most of the work. Is that a better arc? I'm still doing some of the work, but the connection to the object that is actually working quite naturally. Gravity, along with the weight of the ball, is by far the best circle. Do we make that mistake in our relationship with God? Do I make that mistake in my relationship with God? Where I get up and I go about my normal duties thinking I'm being effective, but trying things on my own strength. Even if I might have a connection. Even worse, often I think I can help God in some way, but I end up trying to help him in the strength of my own power. In the broken world that we live in, it is easy, especially for us men, if we see something that we see is not right, we think we need to fix it. We're conquerors. We're born with the will to conquer. And if we see a situation where we think something needs to change, we enjoy taking it into our own hands, and we think we have to do something about it. In today's society, there's three general views of God. Those that don't want anything to do with God, they don't even believe that God exists, is one view. A second view is those that believe in God, but try to gain his approval by doing something for him. And then there's a third view, and that is those that have discovered that the real power for living comes by partnering with God and by being connected, but in a sense, stepping into the background and just being the vessel, being the willing vessel. Philippians 2 verses 12 through 13, Paul states it like this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. How can we live as Paul is describing here in allowing God to live through us so that we can actually trust and rest and truly rely on God's strength. Turn your Bibles to Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3. Galatians 3, 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And I know we could go on reading to get even more context here. But the point I would like to bring out in this verse is 
how in our minds, and I, and if I say in our minds, I'm talking to myself first, and I'm assuming that there's some here this morning that could agree or that could identify with what I'm saying. Why do I so often separate the saving power of God from the sustaining power of God? Paul, in essence, is asking the Galatians, if God's power was good enough and strong enough to save you, why aren't you believing in him to, to sanctify you or to keep growing you? It is easy for us to separate those two. We would never tell somebody that we came to the saving knowledge of God on our own. But why do I so often try to then grow and strengthen and work for God in my own power? It is easy to separate the saving power of God from the power of the Holy Spirit that brings continual growth. Right now at work, we've started on this, I'm not going to call it a binge because I hope it's more than that, but we've started on this journey of lean, lean manufacturing. We've been on the journey for a while, but we, it seems we're, we're reaching up to get the, the higher hanging fruit. We've got most of the lower hanging fruit. And there's a book by Paul Akers that we're using and it's called Two Second Lean. And in lean manufacturing, the, the important thing in lean is to get rid of any waste. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's a continual improvement. So I started reading this book, and I know Mike's reading the book, and I know some of the other guys at work are also reading this book. And his point is to, he doesn't focus on a big event to where let's all get together, let's make this huge improvement in our, in our office or in our own workstation. But his point is every day make another small improvement. And as I was studying for this sermon, I couldn't help but relate the two-second lean that we do in, at work, that we might do at home in our own shops, in our offices, to apply that to our Christian life. How different and how much more effective would my life be if I would concentrate and if I would make it a point of every single day, improve 1%. The tendency becomes doing instead of being or performing versus partnering. Performing is very exhausting. I should do this or I ought to be doing this. I have to have my devotions this morning. I'm lacking in my prayer life. I need to get that cleaned up. I just started listening to a podcast that I was introduced to it's called the Bema, the Bema Podcast by Marty Solomon. How many of you have been listening to that? Okay. And he was, he, he studied, he studied, I think he studied for two years, two years over in Israel. And the podcast is all about the Western way of thinking versus the Eastern way of thinking. And he says the Western way of thinking, when we think about scripture, is we almost get paralyzed and we get all antsy about, we don't know enough of Scripture. We need to learn more. We need to do this. And it actually almost brings us down when we, when we, just, we, we say, we just, we just need to learn more. We need to learn more. And we do. He says the Eastern way of thinking or the Hebrew way of thinking, when it comes to learning more Scripture, their emphasis is, I'm looking forward and I can't wait until God reveals more Scripture to me. Look at the difference. Being versus doing. Do the spiritual disciplines of reading, studying, prayer, fasting, in order to please God and earn his approval, they're exhausting. 
if we do them because we have to or out of duty. If we do all these things on our own power without concentrating and having our focus where it needs to be, it will be exhausting. If I'm doing all these things, why do I still feel a disconnect? Why do I still feel a disconnect? Turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, I'm going to jump in at verse 25, and I'm going to read through chapter 15, verse 8. The discourse that Jesus is having with his disciples, we don't have a specific indication of when or exactly where this took place. But according to theologians, it appears as if this discourse took place on the walk from the Last Supper to the Mount of Olives. It was Jesus giving some of his last instructions to his disciples. Here in John 14, back in verse 15, he starts the, the discourse of promising the Holy Spirit after he leaves. He also uses this parable then in John 15, the parable of the vine, to communicate to them how vital it will be for them to still stay attached to him after he leaves. Up until this point, they've had three years of physically walking with the master. They were always in his presence. They were always with him or at least knew where he was. There was literally a physical connection. And then through this passage in the last part of John 14 and into 15, he's telling them many times, I say many times, there's numerous times when he refers to the fact that I'm leaving you or after I'm gone. And then he goes into John 15 and he explains how you have the vine and you have the branch. And after I'm physically leaving you, in order to do greater things than you're doing while I'm still here, you have to stay connected. There needs to be connectivity. It's also interesting that in the Old Testament, Israel was occasionally pictured as a vineyard to whom God had given every advantage as his chosen people, but the vines ended up yielding bad fruit. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Hosea describe Israel as a degenerate vine with dried up fruit when they should have been the choicest vine. And it's interesting that Jesus now uses himself as the vine, the true vine. It stands in stark contrast with Israel's failures. Let's read beginning in John 14, verse 25, and we'll read through 15, verse 8. These things have I spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring your remembrance and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you. For the rule of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me. So the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the, is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, 
It is he that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are, are, are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I read the portion in 14 just to give a little bit of a context. And if you take out the, the chapter break and you can continue reading, and it seems like it's the same discourse, you can easily connect the two of Jesus leaving. And here he's talking to the disciples. He has this parable as far as you need to stay connected even after I'm no longer with you. And through the Holy Spirit, I'm sending the Holy Spirit in order for that connectivity. We still have the Holy Spirit today. Am I connected? Three types of professing followers of Jesus that he talks about in chapter 15. Those who do not bear any fruit, those who bear some fruit, and those who, when pruned, bear much fruit. Jesus teaching the absolute necessity of close union and communion with him. What does he mean by the phrase, abide in me? Abide. In the Greek, and I'm not sure if I can pronounce the word, I'll probably butcher it, but the Greek word is manate, to remain, to continue, to dwell, to lodge, and to persevere. Making effort to remain attached to Christ. I did this illustration back when I had an introduction, about a 10-minute introduction to this sermon, and I'm going to do this illustration again. And Logan's probably looking at me and says, don't pick me again. I think I'll go with Merlin and Andrew. You guys are sitting right up here. So if you guys would want to stand, I didn't even give you a choice if you're going to help or not, but please do. Stand and face the crowd. Andrew, I need you, Merlin, stand over here a little bit. I need you just to stand here. And Merlin, I need you to put this hand on this shoulder and put this hand out here. So what we have here is just an illustration of Andrew here, we'll say he is the vine. He is Jesus in this illustration. Merlin here is the branch. Out here is the twigs or where we normally see the fruit or the grapes. Now, if Merlin, if we just concentrate or focus on what's growing out here, if our total focus is out here, we actually lose our focus on the connection. And if we focus too much on that, inadvertently, We'll start pulling away. You're going to be looking out here, staring out here, concentrating out here. Unfortunately, you're going to start moving towards that. And what happens here is the connection separates from the vine. If this happens, you're still going to want to perform. You're going to want to look good, but there is no fruit. Then what happens is we start pasting fake fruit in order to look good. But if we focus on this and we don't mind what's happening here, but we focus on this, we'll have the genuine result of fruit bearing. You can actually take a seat. Thank you, guys. So what do I mean by performance? Performance is control. And all of us in, like to control. It's us controlling versus being controlled by the Holy Spirit. I have one more illustration. Parker, can I ask you to come up here and help me with this illustration? So I have here a glass of water. You might want to stand back here, stand back here a little bit. 
Now you go ahead and shake my arm. Okay, that's good. Good job. That's exactly what I wanted to happen. So, my next question is, why did the water, or what made it possible for the water to spill out of the cup? Anybody? Okay? My hand got put in motion. There was water in the cup. There was no lid on the cup. All of those answers are correct. If I take an empty cup, and I would again ask Parker to shake, to shake my hand, there's no sloppage. Performance versus connection. If I'm driving down the road and a car pulls out in front of me, and later I might tell somebody the story, I might go home and tell Marnita, man, a car pulled out in front of me, he was going 30 miles an hour, and I had to slam the brakes, but I didn't honk the horn. I bit my tongue just in time. Is that filled with the Holy Spirit, or is that controlling my performance? It wasn't Parker's fault that there was water all over the place. He was only bringing out of that cup what was originally in the cup. Now, if I would have wanted to control the situation and perform, I could have easily made that no water spills out of that cup. And I could have looked really good. Incidents bring to the surface what's inside of us. No one can provoke inside of us what's not already there. And way too often, we perform by controlling. And it's actually not the fruit of the Spirit that's being projected and it's actually fake fruit because we're just putting a lid on top of what is inside of us. I worked at a nursing home for two years at Mountain View Nursing Home and we were there as a discipleship leader and I did not have a lot of interaction with the residents but I did some and one thing I learned in those two years is the only thing that changes once you start with dementia or once you start losing your common sense, or once you start losing your mind, the only thing that changes is the ability to control. You won't all of a sudden become a sweet person if you were a grumpy person. And you won't all of a sudden become a grumpy person if you were a sweet person in your younger years. But what gets taken away is your ability to control what's inside. Those old people, they just spill everything. I mean, they just say it as it is. There's no governor. The control is taken away. The fruits of the Spirit become a duty instead of an outflowing when we're performing. If I would ask the question, how many of us profess to be living supernaturally, probably none of our hands would actually go up. But I'd like to challenge that. What is the definition of supernatural? Of or relating to an order of existence beyond the visible, observable universe. Connecting to Christ is actually reaching beyond the visible and taking hold of a power we don't possess in our own. So in order for us to get away from performing and the fake fruit, we actually have to reach out to the invisible and through faith stay connected to Christ. And a lot of that comes through the way we view scriptures. If we view scriptures as something we need to do versus something we want more of, our focus changes on how hard or how easy it is to stay connected. Abiding. What do we mean by abiding? We need to be convinced that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Spending time with Jesus. And I know we often say that and we use that. It's almost a 
cliche. But this morning, I'm here to say that we actually need to spend time with Christ. And I'm not talking about just spending time in prayer and then getting up and going our way. So obviously, this is a phone. And during the week, there's not every day, but during the week, I often end up calling Bernita about something. And it never has entered my mind to give her a call, say what I need, make the requests that I want, and without giving her a chance to respond, I say, okay, thank you, bye, done. But how many times do I do that in my prayer life? To where I praise him, I have my petitions, I bring it to an end, it might even be 10 minutes, I bring it to an end, and then I go about my duties, and I don't wait for an answer. And then my mind is focused on all the other things, and I ask myself the question, can I even recognize if he does answer? That's part of abiding. Wait. Take time for solitude. Take time for a response. Wait for a response. We are so, we are, we are such a driven people that we think if we wait, we're wasting time. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Again, I say wait. Listen to understand what he's saying. Don't listen to respond. Listen to understand. Believe that Jesus is present. Converse with Jesus like you do with your spouse, your best friend. How do we continually abide in Christ? I'd like to look at my last point here. The first was abiding, and my second one is embracing the grace of God. Now that does sound very cliche-ish. We often refer to grace as an unmerited favor. It is that, but it is a lot more. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to Titus 2. Grace is God's power at work in us to do through us what we could never do on our own strength. We all believe, again, in God's saving grace. But our tendency is, God saves me, then it's up to me to grow. And we actually don't say that, but too oftentimes we live that way. I'd like to read Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. And I had never seen this before. As many times as I've read through Titus, I had never seen this before I started studying for this sermon. I'd like to read verses 11 and 12 of Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So we have the saving grace of God. And according to Titus verse 12, the grace of God also trains us. Now, how does that happen? Grace does not mean that we don't press on and that we don't put effort forth. As Dallas Willard stated it like this, grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed, opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Because of being in a sin curse, being born into a sin cursed world, our flesh in its natural state is opposed to the fruit of the Spirit. It's not natural for us before we come to Christ to function out of the fruits of the Spirit. But after we are saved through the power of His grace, and if we allow His training, His grace to train us through the connection to the vine, then is when we will live out of the fruits of the Holy Spirit and not out of performance. Because of God's grace, we are invited to a direct connection, the branches and the vine. And when we're connected, we will see 
the fulfillment of living him through us instead of on our own. In conclusion, in the world that we live in, with evil all around us and distractions begging to steal our time, the struggle to stay connected is real. This is not a sermon that I want to come across as unrealistic or idealistic. The struggle to stay connected is real with the opposing forces and with our busy schedules. Satan will continually try to get us into performance mode and to live our life on our own strength. He knows that if he disconnects us from the vine, he will be controlling us. However, because of God's grace, and through his grace, he sent us a savior, and he sent us the Holy Spirit as a guide. We have been given the opportunity to stay connected and to live in his power and not our own. This morning, if there's one thing that I want us to walk out of here and not forget, it is the branch's connection to the vine and where the focus should be, because therein is where it rests. And taking time, not just for us to God, but for God to us. That is a true connection. It's not a one-way street. It's not a one-way connection. It's a round trip. It's a two-way connection. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together this morning. Lord, I pray that you might give us the, um, just impress upon us the value of staying connected and not to control or perform. Lord, I pray that whatever is shared this morning, that you would grant the increase. I pray this on your name. Amen.